Guys, welcome to the show, Pedaling Podcast. This is the new season, the Australian version, mate. Uh, I'm in Australia right now. I'm actually in Melbourne. So I've cycled from Sydney down to Melbourne. And I released a podcast show, actually. So the first three days of that trip, I recorded and edited and published. There's also stuff online you can check out as well. So if you go to peddlingpodcast.com, you'll see a journal where I've created those top three days so far. And it's something I'm going to develop as well on the road all the way back home. So I'm trying to find a really good way of actually... I guess creating stuff that I can share with you guys as well. Um, that doesn't take up so much time uh, and I get a good process in place for that. And I've just switched down from a MacBook Pro down to an iPad, so everything's gonna be running off these kind of small devices now. It's gonna be a bit of a challenge for me. I'm happy to share all that stuff with you guys if you're interested. So I'm heading out on, well, next Saturday, I guess. I don't know what that date is. I think it's the first weekend uh, of August and I'll be leaving Melbourne cycling towards Perth over about a week and a half, I think, uh, deciding whether to go through the central parts and more directly and go through the Grampians and that kind of direction, or down south, follow the coast, uh, and actually follow the Indy Pack route in reverse, potentially. I want to kind of go a little bit off-road as well, but who knows. Anyway, this next month, I guess going into August as well, it's going to be jam-packed full of podcasts because... I've just been talking to everyone in Melbourne uh, and it's been great. I mean, there's so much stuff I want to share with you guys as well. And it's talking to all this kind of big industry, I guess, that's growing out of Melbourne and, and established. Um, so I'm super excited to share that as well. I've actually, actually just released the new website as well. So I've updated that, got that online. It's still kind of work in progress. I'm kind of getting to it when I can. So go online, check it out. Uh, I'm going to be putting the podcast on there as well as a journal too. Uh, I've also had a couple of links if you scroll down to the bottom as well. I'm looking for people that can actually contribute. If, if you, you know you see this as an interesting thing and you want to get involved and you're inter- interested in cycling or you want to get more involved in cycling, reach out. Uh, I'm totally keen to collaborate, work with people, develop something uh, and actually put more effort into kind of developing cycling content really. Other thing as well, if you know anyone that actually wants to get involved with this show in terms of uh, partnership stuff, then also let me know, um, reach out uh, and let me know if you want to work together on some interesting things. I'm totally keen to do that, as long as it's related to what I'm doing uh, and how it fits into cycling uh, and you're keen to kind of do something quite fun, then totally just get in touch and, and we can work it out. Do you guys get like me sometimes when you go out wearing Lycra and you kind of get a little bit bored about the shit you're wearing all the time? I mean, if you look around at some of the biggest apparel people, they're kind of creating these uniforms and kits that are kind of a bit, you know, boring, I guess. Well, these two boys, they create something completely different. Uh, They don't hold any punches. They do whatever they want to do. They create kits that have watermelons all over or the words fuck yeah kind of hidden uh, across the whole outfit as well. And they love riding bikes as well. It's super interesting to hear from Stephen and Greg about the riding culture based in Sydney. So I sat down with these guys and talked about everything to do with the power, kind of where they're going, uh, what they started out with, uh, how things kind of work. And if you're interested in in apparel and how things are growing and how to, I guess, create a brand that's not huge in the world, um, but also one that can maintain who they are, you know, and have them fuck yeah kind of moments and and celebrate that and also create a kind of rich kind of culture around what they do as well. I mean, that's what is pretty special about uh, Attica is 
if you look at globally around what's going on and what they share and what they create and what other people kind of create, uh, it's super different to what you expect of, of, of a big apparel brand. So enjoy this show. We sat down in a coffee shop. Uh, we had cake. Thanks, Greg. Um, and we just talked about everything to do with their business and what they're doing. Welcome to the show, boys. We've got two people here who, uh, I guess I could say, well, I'll just read the quotes that I've got online. These might be the craziest cycling kits we've ever seen, written by Bicycle.com. I, I first saw their gear on a press launch around four years ago. One of the Aussie journalists sauntered out for the ride in the most insane looking kit I've ever seen. It was so searingly neon, I could never unsee it. <laughs> so boys, introduce yourself. Um, I'm Greg. And I'm Stephen. We're from Attacker Cycling in Sydney, Australia. Cool. So how, how, do you, how do you pronounce the word attacker? Uh, it's sort of open to discussion, I suppose. But we just say attacker. We keep it deliberately vague, almost, to be honest. We don't, we don't say there's a particular way you should or shouldn't say it. Like, it comes from a French word. And if you were to pronounce it correctly, it should be attaquer. But we're Australian, so we just kind of Australianise it and say attacker. Yeah. And that's typically how most people tend to say it, I think. Yeah. But we do hear it. Attacker. It's okay, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's we're up fine. To you. We're fine with either way. <laughs> no, no preference on it. So, so we talked about just a minute ago. It all, it all began in 2012. So, how did it, how did it begin in 2012? Well, the two the two of us were like friends for for some time before that. And Greg was working in the cycling industry, and I was working in the fashion industry. Um, and we'd been mountain biking together for quite some time, and had I guess around that point like we'd been road cycling for a couple of years and we're getting a lot more serious about it and we i guess just didn't see anything in the market that we liked and we just decided to join forces and try and produce kit that we wanted to wear and that we thought our friends would want to wear um and we just dabbled in it we just yeah we, we like we spent probably nine months to almost a year finding a factory um developing products, doing that sort of thing, and then getting the business set up in the background. And yeah, I guess it was probably October 2012 when we finally were ready to actually launch and start selling product, have the website up and going and um, product all delivered. And we started off with just the limited kit collections where I guess it was pretty new to the market to, we were just selling a designed designer kit that had a matching jersey and a matching bibs, but not in the sense that it just had, you know, a, a logo on the jersey that matched the logo on the bibs. It was the crazy kind of stuff that you were talking about in those previous quotes where the jersey had a print all over it and the bibs had a print all over it and the two were integrated and they were seamless and we sold them as a set. Um, so we kind of, yeah, just introduced that to the market and people were like, what the fuck is that? So, so did you it go out immediately. It sounds like you just went, you didn't start small with a local kind of stuff. You committed to fully going into this straight away. Then is that what happened? Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. We didn't we didn't quit our jobs straight away. That's for sure. We didn't quit our jobs for a couple of years. I think it was. We were still we had the stock sitting at home in an attic for a period of time, and we'd handwrite the orders and ship them out as they came in. Um, we started off strong. Like we had we came out with eight eight designs in the first season, so it wasn't no 
there wasn't any pre-ordering or anything, so we sort of committed to stock, I suppose, to put our balls on the line a little bit in that sense, and um, yeah, as Stephen said, we, had, we were working out of study or an attic, writing orders at night and just shipping them with Australia Post and, and, and building, and it was probably before, I don't think Instagram really wasn't too big back in 2012, so I was sort of relying on word of mouth. We got a few editorials in a couple of magazines, print mags and things, and, and yeah, lucky for us, it, it sort of um, took off from there. Mm. People, people, people were quite, it was, it was quite polarizing. There were a lot of people who were very receptive, and there were obviously a lot of people, because it was so sort of out there for that time, people were, oh, this will never work, yeah, good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. But, do, do you think your style actually helped gain that momentum? If you went with uh, like a more softer kind of like try to be more friendly with your kit design, would that have worked, or do you think? I think it would have been harder to stand out for sure. And in in that period, like people were still heavily wearing team kit, and Rafa was a significant brand, but it wasn't the, quite the powerhouse just yet. They were sort of on the verge of really kicking off um, so we it, it, if you had have just gone plain and simple um, I think it would have been more challenging to I guess get a foothold into the market because then we would have just been competing with the back in the day the Pearl Azumis the Castellis the Giordanas which were very block colours very Eurocentric and, and as Stephen said the, the Raffers which was very gentlemanly and that's what we weren't we weren't we are not that so that didn't suit us, and that's that's exactly how Attack was born. We wanted something that, you know, we were, we wanted to wear. So what about the first few designs? Because the the quote I got here, these might be the craziest cycling kids we've ever seen. The image is of like a a, water, a load of watermelons, kind of like printed. Yeah, that one's on still. We still get asked about that kit. In actual fact, like that watermelon kit, for some reason, stood out with a lot of people and. Even to this day, every every so often we'll get an email like, hey, will you ever bring that back? Or I just stumbled across this kit. Is there one lying around that I can get my hands on? But I don't think by any means that was the craziest of the crazy. But if that was your first spotting of attacker, then it certainly would have stood, stood out as being that wasn't pretty too, different. That was what, season four? Yeah, or five four. even. We'd always usually, with, those, with the ranges, there'd be like eight designs and there'd always be one or two thrown in there which were very, like quite, very polarizing, like really would be cool shit and it would either, it would either stay in the warehouse or people would be frothing on it and just keep requesting it, keep requesting it. It was always that, you take a gamble on one or two kids every time that are really, really other than that. I think that watermelon was it, like when we first designed it, we were like, holy shit. Yeah, you roll the dice, what, you what have we, no idea what, 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 what is necessarily going to go well or not, or, or, or really bad. Yeah. That's, that's the fun of it, and for the most part, it's people are really you know receptive to it, and, and, and they love it, and they get involved, and and um, it's sort of really I don't know it's created a spark. And I think there are a lot of people who have come from different different backgrounds to start cycling due to you know I think because they want to uh, be able to wear those bold, bright kids mm. on the bike. Mm. And um, when it comes to designing the kits, like how do you? What is your process for that? Do you just pick out the loudest, funniest thing that kind of you enjoy, or is it? A... No, not not really. It's more like every every like we're always evolving because it's a small it's a small company, and we're both heavily involved in you know all of the decision making. Um, I tend to take slightly more of a creative lead, and your personal taste is probably 
the larger driving force. We, we try to, I guess, you know, consider what the market wants and things like that to a degree, but often it just comes down to personal taste. Do we like that or do we not like it? Would we wear it or wouldn't we wear it? And if we wouldn't, we usually won't run with it. Um, but yeah, the creative process itself is, you, you, you I guess we, we look at things that we like, um, could be, it could, you could be drawing inspiration from anywhere. It could be a piece of graffiti that you've seen or it could be um, a pattern that you've seen on a, a, a T-shirt or a print or whatever. It, you just sort yeah. of gather some inspo that you like. There's always um, an under, underlying theme. Yeah, and then like you, look you look at, at it. That, you, that watermelon we've got Key West. Yeah, it was part it's, of a... It's sort of built off like, you know, there were coconuts and there were watermelons and there were, what was it, peacocks and flamingos. Everything. Yeah. There's a theme. Yeah. And then it rolls. There's always a lot of stuff left on whatever you call it, the clipping room floor. I suppose you could say there's a lot of stuff that we'll never see the light of day. So now you're like seven years in, eight years in now. Seven. Yeah. Seven years. And when did when you were working at the same time when you launched? Yeah. And when did you make the commitment? When did you make the commitment to actually go full time? It was a couple. It was a couple of years in. We. I, yeah, you, you kind of you look at your home life commitments, and I've got a couple of kids and a mortgage, and yeah, Greg's got wife and mortgage, and you know you've got commitments. So you, um, whilst it'd be fantastic to be making enough money to quit your job from day one, you've you've got to weigh up the the risk and odds. So yeah, it took a couple of years before we were comfortable that we were generating enough income because we're we're bootstrapping it ourselves. We're not we don't have an investor or anything like that on board. It's just. You know, we're doing it off our own back, so um, yeah, it was a couple of years of a lot of a lot of work. Yeah, when you when you're working full time and then having to do this after hours, and it's it's a, it's a pretty significant juggling act. But once we finally committed and then went full time, we've got an office and a handful of staff working with us. It it makes things a lot easier. You can focus on the business properly and and look at where you can gain success and things. So. Yeah, and the business has evolved a lot from those early days where there was we were just doing for the first year or two. I can't remember exactly. We were just doing those limited releases, which was every three or four months, maybe even six months back then. We were bringing out eight kits. You see this spike, but you know, obviously since then the business has evolved to the point where we've got you know core product, race product. We've got different different lines and different category categories that suit every type of riding in any conditions and so you, you can come to your tech website or to see one of our dealers and there's kit for every single purpose not just we're not just doing crazy designs anymore it's evolved to a point where you can wear a tack on mm. every day so going back to kind of when you first started out is there anything you if you get to go back and kind of like you know restart is there anything you try differently or do differently or would it just be the no hindsight we i personally um, probably would have taken the leap and gone full-time into the business a little bit earlier um, and and probably other than that like maybe have I guess considered the branding aspect of it and, and streamline things a little bit sooner um, I think I think because we were in this type of this this kit evolution in the cycling industry. We were one of the first, I suppose, we pioneered it. So we were everything for us was 
trial and error. So when we look back, I suppose there's some messy points where we're like, oh shit, that was, right, did we really do that? <laughs> but we kind of changed logos every other day just for, for the sake of yeah. it because it was like, yeah, well, let's just change the logo. We don't like it this week. Yeah, so, so silly little things like that. As, as opposed to taking a lead and going, okay, that's what they've done. We can replicate and, and try to do this ourselves. But So we were, yeah, it was a lot of trial and error. There was a lot of... Yeah, mixing and matching. Yeah, Stephen said, I think branding was the biggest thing. Like, could have been a lot cleaner from the start. But hey, you know, we are where we are now and no regrets. Mm. <laughs> Hashtag no regrets. <laughs> so, what, so I'm interested in, like, now you've kind of evolved into, I guess, different segments of, of apparel, I guess. You're competing across more, uh, I guess, different audiences types, I guess. Um, how does that change like your business from the beginning to where you are now? Like, because you're competing across quite a lot of things, is it, is it a challenge to do that? And, and, and to... I, uh, I guess it's just oh, challenge is that the right word? Like, um, I'm not sure if I if I've understood the gist of the question correctly. But like, do you mean how do we sit in the market? Because we have expanded compared to other brands or yeah, like more how, established brands, maybe. How do you? I guess how do you compete? I mean, how do you keep competing? I guess because when when you look at the, the original stuff you did, it's quite loud, and there was quite a lot of. Um, I guess you got the ball rolling quite quickly with being loud and, and bold and, and something a bit different. Yeah. And now you've kind of broadened out to, to different types of kits, your race kit and, and the more everyday kit and, and that kind of thing. How does um is that, does that become a challenge or is it just a natural way for the for your power thing to? to it, I guess it uh, yeah okay so yeah it is it is still it's always a challenge to come up with new and fresh and interesting and innovative stuff. Um, one of the aspects of the brand has always been we want to have premium premium quality stuff so that it's not just about the design because if if the product's premium people will come back and buy it again if it performs and it's durable and it lasts and it works well and they're satisfied, they'll come back and buy it, irrespective of whether the designs are loud and crazy or not. Um, but we're still, I think we're still pretty loud and crazy to some degree, but that's that's a smaller portion of the business, even though that's what we're known for and that's what people see and rem- and remember and it kind of, it's, it sticks in their mind. Um, it's a smaller part of the business, but as I said, that that's that's what sticks in people's minds for some reason. So standing out in that, that, that that's still what gets it noticed to a certain degree. Those limited crazy kids. But we've, um, we've always, but that's that's sort of now part of our brand and part of our DNA, and it allows us. What it allows us to do is anything we want. So like, and that yeah, piece of attacker, that original attacker will always shine through in whatever we do. Like, we had a men's crit team last summer and here in Australia and they're called the crit dogs and there was big Rottweilers, just a Rottweiler face in the front and the back of the, the guys' jerseys and we've just launched another year, we've been involved in a, a women's pro team called Rock Soul Attacker and we've just launched another kit for them this season and it's, it's just pink and blue leopard leopard spots and they'll be racing in the USA for the next couple of months. So Cheetah spots. Che- is it Cheetah? It's Cheetah. Oh, sorry. Cheetah's faster. <laughs> and then so whatever we do, you know, and, and what allows us, we, we do sort of artist collabs with the likes of Basquiat or Keith Haring. And, and, and being that we started from that more streetwear artistic uh, theme, uh, you know, inspiration, it allows that to always carry through in our DNA. So we'll always be there. 
sure we've got our race kit and our race ultra and the core, which are a bit more toned down, and it allows the everyday cyclist, because not everyone wants to wear a, a watermelon kit every day of the week. That when we understand that, we're, we're exactly the same, and, and the market's maturing at the same time. So, yeah, that, that craziness with our limited kits and with what we do will always be a massive part of our DNA and always a massive part of what we do. But, of course, we've got to evolve as a business. Mm. So, yeah, talking of evolving then, how do you evolve as an apparel business? What's, what's next? What's the future? Um, and where, you, where are you going? Like, what is the... I mean, I guess taking, I guess, Rafa being bought out and their example and they're kind of trimming down and focusing on certain aspects of it, like, where do, where do you kind of fit in, in the apparel world? It's a big question. Yeah, it's... it's I suppose it's... it's we get asked it a lot, and it's always the same thing. And it, it, the, the industry is funny. It, it, you set a five-year plan, or you know, you look at your plans, but within six months, something's changed. Like, yeah, the rappers have been bought out, and you know, in Sydney, only six months ago, there was a rapper clubhouse, which is no longer there. So, I mean, within Sydney, you know, the market's changed already. And it, um, so, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, we, we don't. We don't also tend to make. I think people, when they ask that question, they want some sort of groundbreaking, they want a big, bold statement that, I don't know, maybe some of the other brands are more known for, for making, like, um, in three years' time, no one will be wearing Lycra anymore. They'll all be wearing casual-style performance wear because they'll all be gravel riding or something along those lines. Sometimes I don't know if those statements, people legitimately believe them or if they just say them because it sounds like a big thing to say, like, you yeah, I, I, for, for us, it's like yeah, we don't we don't have anything like that groundbreaking that's going to sound so innovative. We're, we're still a small company, and there's so much growth opportunity for us from where we sit currently um, that we're not trying to take on the entire world and roll out you know our own 50 attacker instead of being a clubhouse. We're going to have them and we're going to call them the disco club or something ridiculous like that. It's not. That's not really the case for us. Is it's just sort of we keep doing what we're doing, um, and and we incrementally change with our own personal needs and tastes and what the market, I guess, dictates to some extent as well. But um, have we got a big, huge thing that we're going to drop at any point in time in the next year or two? No, not really. No. Not that we know about yet. Not that we know of. <laughs> anyway. That's a, that's another thing that, that allows us to be being a smaller business and being. We're so we're receptive to change, so that's that's also such a good thing. Like we can turn around and if, if, we're, brain, if we're brainstorming in the office and someone has a good idea, it's like, all right, yeah, let's then let's just let's, do it. Let's have a crack. Let's do that. And in six months, we could be launching, you know, something new. And you know, we also you're moving with the market. And, and last year, so last year or the year before, we launched. You know, that we we saw there was a need in the market. People love the attacker brand, and, and we launched what was called A Line. So it was a more of a more of a plainer, much more simpler, uh, more of a volume line. Uh, Everything's interchangeable, interchangeable. it's just colour-based, what colours. Color and, and you know, you're selling bibs for $1.99 and jerseys for $1.29 and all Italian fabrics still. And people have, people have been really receptive to that. And then, and then you know, six months later, we launched what was called Race Ultra, which is a, and then a step above what we'd always been producing, which was super premium, you know, aerodynamic fabrics, uh, you know, really performance-based. So there's always 
you know, the range is expanding and, and we're hitting different markets. And, yeah. What's really interesting, and the reason why I always ask that question to people, what, what's next, what's the future? Um, what I've found actually with people in the cycling industry, and there's, there's two um, um, interviewees that have, that have talked about similar things, Bicycle Junction, which is a bike shop in Wellington, uh, and also Wheelworks, so we're also based in Wellington, the wheel yeah. builders. Yeah. Ask them the same question, and they have something similar to what you guys said. They're basically almost to the point of where we're kind of happy with where we are. We're happy with how we're working and, and it allows us to do X, Y, Z. Wheelworks, for example, they were like, totally fine, everything's cool and we're, we're at the level we want to be, the amount of people we want to be at, and it's enough for us to be able to be successful. Um, and also the aspects of growth, you know, when we talk about growth, people always presume that's like volume, stock, people, um, but actually from the cycling people I've talked to, growth actually becomes more of like a uh, quality, you know, how can we perform better with the quality or the type of work we're doing and that kind of thing, yeah. which I, I find quite interesting, generally speaking. See, I wouldn't want to be, like, I'm guessing you spoke with Tristan at Wheelworks, like, yeah. hell, if I was in the bike hardware, like in wheels, like, he could develop a new hub and then next week, you know, Trek or Specialized come out with a whole new axle standard. So it's like, that's the way the bike industry is. You could develop a product and then, you know, this is the next big thing and this is going to carry us for the next five years and the next, you know, next week there's a bloody new standard that's coming to the market. It's, like, it's, it's such a nimble industry where things are changing and things are being updated so quickly it's really hard to look quite far down the road. And, 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 and yeah. But if we, look, if we look back to the actual start of Attacker, I guess that, to some extent, has had an effect or a change on the cycling industry because what we what we created product-wise, the designs and looks and things, um, didn't exist back then, to my to my knowledge anyway. And I guess to become uh, an, a somewhat established brand in the market, selling what we sold, products that people were like, that's just never going to work. I don't want to have a bar of it. And to where we are today, seven years on. Um, is is quite a big innovation in itself. A lot of brands have come along since then, and, and many brands, I guess, have done similar things and had success. There's been a ton of brands who have done similar things and have probably vanished now. But over the years, we've seen lots and lots of brands, I guess, come along and and try and replicate what a hacker does. And I guess that's testament to the fact that the brand has created. I guess a niche within the cycling market that didn't really exist before. Whether we create another thing like that further on down the track remains to be seen at this point in time, I don't know. And yet yeah, it's, it's has opened the doors to to that, you know, people people are a bit more like can, to wear what you want on the bike. Well it used to be so it was such a gentlemanly Eurocentric. Yeah. If you weren't in a shop or a team kit, you know, people dress quite differently. Yeah. Would dress quite differently. Mm. As we said, like literally seven years ago, we couldn't find something we'd really like to wear on the bike, and now the opportunities and options are limitless. One thing that that I guess kind of does get overlooked when you kind of look at your kit online and you kind of do a bit of research is, yeah, it is quite some of the original stuff is quite loud and stuff. But actually, when you look at the reviews, something that does come through quite consistently is the quality. Mm. Um, do you want to explain kind of? more about that decision making with the quality of the kit, how you go about it, how you, yeah, you're putting for that sort of things? That we're, we're pretty serious about our cycling, so we want, we don't want just trashy kit, like if it's, if we, it's, it's kind of like that same rule that we always stick by, like if we, if, if it doesn't fit us right and we wouldn't wear it and it's not going to last, 
then we don't want to put it out into the market just as for the sake of it. It has to be exceptional quality. Otherwise, if it's not good enough for us, why should it be good, for, good enough for anyone else? Um, and we also think that that's what gives the brand longevity. If, if the quality's there and the fit is there, people will appreciate that. They'll be willing to pay for it and they'll, they'll keep buying your product. If it's, if it's junk, they might buy it once because they like your brand or they, they like a design, but they won't come back again. So Cyclists are fussy, I tell you. Like, yeah, consumers, consumers, cycling consumers, I suppose, you know, and they have to be because they're spending, these, you know, the, our customers are spending $500 on bike fits and $300 on a new saddle because it's going to, because the bike fitter told them to do that. So if we're providing a substandard chamois or a substandard pair of bibs, they're not going to, they're not going to come back. So as I said earlier, it's always been our designs that have got the, per, got the customer to buy their first kit and it's the quality that has them coming back. And we, uh, we spend, you know, majority of our products manufactured in Italy. We spend time with the factory, go back and forth to the factory and um, you know, always seeing what's new in fabric technology, uh, trim technology, you know, always updating product where, where we need to. Taking, the latest innovations from teams or the latest in, what, are, what are things that we personally like and, and have noticed on product or from friends or from feedback from everyone in the office who's riding. Uh, we just take it all on board, and as we see, you know, new requirements that are needed, we update products mm. or introduce new products, or yeah. I want to ask you about the, uh, the your alter ego campaign. Yeah. I guess the thing, the, the content starting putting together. How did that come about? What's the idea behind that? That is kind of attacker in a nutshell. Like it, it, it comes down to when you you look at the the limited kits. You could be a 60-year-old um, businessman who every day of the week wears a suit. He buys his $12,000 Colnago and he wants to wear a watermelon kit because it gives him the opportunity to express his actual personality. He can be himself, which, you know, he can't go to the office wearing that because it's his job and he has to conform and he, he, the, the business is dictating to him what he has to wear and how he has to look and how he has to behave to a large degree. But when you get out on the bike, you can do whatever the fuck you want, if you want to. And we give people that opportunity to express themselves in a different way that they wouldn't necessarily be able to. So that's where the, it's, it's an alter ego. You might be this during the day, but when you're on the bike, you can be that. And at times, it might be the total opposite. You could, during the day, be want you know loud and crazy and um on the bike you're actually a little bit more subdued you don't want to stand out so wear something a bit plain like the, you know a black race jersey or something and just tone it down so yeah it just it, i mean it, 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 that sort of evolved with us like it was never at the beginning we thought our market was going to be late 20s early 30s guys like us at that time that age just you know, from a surf skate culture, but what we realised after a few years of, of producing kit was that our our market, our customers, actually late thirties, forties, fifties, corporate, you know, corporate um, gentlemen and gentle women who were wearing suits and ties at work, and they were telling us, oh, "I love," because you'd see, you know, I'd love just getting great. When I'm on my bike, it allows me to be. You know who I want to be, but uh, yeah. So that's where that you know be your alter ego really stemmed through because we were we were really surprised after a few years who was buying our kit and and it, yeah it was it was sort of a lot of corporates and and um, 
And you think that's just part of what cycling culture is, is that, that, that people just have their kind of normal life and then they get out on the bike and it's kind of like a different life? It's for sure, different. yeah, definitely. It, it's the, the cliche is probably like that sense of freedom. Like, why do, you, why do you ride? Because it's almost taking people back to a bit of a childhood thing and you get a bit of freedom from whatever your nine to five is or your home life and most cases people are doing it because they get to hang out with friends that they again you, time during the during the day and during the week is limited you might not get to see people as often as you like but when you're out on the bike you get to chat and you get to have coffee afterwards and you get to shoot the shit and it's mm. it's it's a lot of fun mm. so yeah and we've also found it's one of those it's it's with there's so much in the press worldwide this whole hate against cyclists and between cyclists and motorists as well, we find and we hear that a lot of our non-cycling friends, it, it, when you're seeing someone riding and they've got a kit covered in watermelons or a kit covered in peacocks or something like that, it's the motorist actually takes note as well. They're like, what the fuck is that? And then it, it creates, then it creates a bit of a, uh, you know, it, yeah, you know, I don't know what. It's, it's hard to taunt a cyclist if they're wearing a watermelon kit because it's like, you're just amazing. <laughs> or it's like, easy. You know, or it makes it makes them an easier target. But no, we usually find that it's, yeah, pe- people, they love seeing it out and about. Uh, you know, it's bright and it's fun. And hey, people are going to be walking around in you know, cafes in Lycra anyway. It may as well, may as well be bright. Mm. So a question I want to ask. I'm going to ask the same question all the way back home. Um, why, why cycling? For you guys, what 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 is about cycling that that makes you start a business, makes you do what you do? Um, why? Greg, you first. Yeah, go. Yeah. Um, I people ask why why I ride a bike. I actually just never stopped. Um, you know, I rode. I was riding a bike when I was four years old. Lived on a bike, rode my bike to school. Started racing mountain bikes when I was in high school. Then kept doing it, and then it was just. You know, when a lot of people stopped, I just didn't, and now I love it. And now that I've got, you know, I've a wife and and um, things like that, it's when people ask me, it's you can get up at five thirty, you ride for a couple of hours, you spend a couple of hours with your mates, you then have time, spend half an hour having coffee and breakfast with your mates, and you're back home by eight thirty, and you're ready to start the day. Like there's no other. I don't think there's many sports which gives you that that opportunity to spend time with mates. Get exercise, do what you love, and then still, you know, not piss the wife off, or <laughs> still have plenty of time left in the day. Like, I know, and I just, I just love it. Like, it's the fitness elements, the social elements, the uh, you can sit there out there for four or five hours if you want, just chatting, talking shit with your mates. And it's, I don't know any other sport or activity which has the same elements that cycling does like that. It's much, it's much the same for me. Like, as as to what Greg just said. You, I never really stopped like you start riding a bike when you're four years old and back in those days the world was a different place like you would jump on your bike you might only be uh, seriously like eight nine years old your parents are working during the day on school holidays you've got the entire day to yourself no one's checking up on you or asking where you're going it's you and your gang of buddies who have your BMXs and you get up at seven or eight in the morning and you go and ride to someone's house and that's the only way you can get around because you're a little grommet kid and you just ride all day and you come home in the evening when it's dark because your parents have come home from work and dinner's ready. You just, it's just the ultimate. It, you, you can't, I can't think of anything better to be doing. Um, 
and yeah, you, I guess you transition as you as you get older, and you it becomes more of a sport thing. But that social aspect always remains with you. Um, it's the best way to catch up with friends, and you're, the benefit, the, the the byproduct is you're getting fit at the same time. So yeah, I, I personally don't want to go and just do exercise for the sake of exercise. I ride a bike because I love it, and it it actually benefits me at the same time, which is like win-win. It's biggest plus I can think of. So yeah, I just and just love it. It allows us to see the like see the world as well. Like we've done, we do trips and. You know, we went to Japan the year before last with a bunch of mates, and last year we went to Chiang Mai with a big bunch of friends. And oh, like traveling with a group of sort of, what was it, 10, 15, 20 guys and riding different parts of the world, it's just, it's like, I just love that. Live yeah. for it. Yeah. Live for it. Sometimes you struggle to get two mates to come to for a, a beer at the local pub because it's too much of a challenge. And then, yeah, last year we put the word out, hey, we're going to go to Chiang Mai for a week. Who wants to come? And Seriously, like 25 of our closest friends, like, yeah, okay, let's all do it. And sure enough, there we are in Chiang Mai riding for a week with your, with your best mates. What else can you, what more can you ask for? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, people ask me why I ride it. It's so it's just, we just love it. And that's, just and in that's, you. And that's, and that's the beauty of it, like working with it. It's literally, it is a passion. Yeah, you go through stages where you are combining your right now is hard because as we as we sort of start to head into winter and the mornings are cold, it's like oh shit, can't be bothered. But then I know you seem to just ride a couple of rides less during the week, and then the weekend comes, you make up for it by going longer and later. And yeah, yeah always, I think it's always I'd there. Definitely reminisce with a similar kind of thought because I was working quite a lot full time and always cycling was kind of like. I guess you always kind of come back to it. At some point, you always kind of think about it, come back to it. It kind of motivates you throughout the day, kind of thing. And then now I've kind of moved to New Zealand for a while, and I thought, what do I want to do next? Like career-wise, I'm kind of, you know, done with it. I want to try and focus on something else. And cycling just became, and it always became something that was there, you know, close. And I thought, how about if I just do this whole project? Go home, talk to people, find out why they cycle as well, asking mm. you those questions and asking everyone around the world the same question. Mm. and see how it changes by culture, by style, by you know different types of people. Um, so yeah, I totally understand. What about um, Sydney? What makes Sydney a great place for you to ride bikes? Sydney has, within the city, a lot of routes along the beaches and stuff. It's pretty picturesque. You've got the harbour and you've got all the beaches um, and it's, it's quite hilly, which is a plus. Like if you're commuting, hills are like, oh, how annoying. But when you're, when you're riding, for sport like us or social or whatever, um, the hills are a bonus and there's tons of them within close proximity to the city. So yeah, there's heaps of loops around town, um, heaps of cafes, heaps of good food and yeah, a lot of people are into it and I think, yeah, just being, it, it, Sydney's a very outdoorsy city, the weather's good pretty much all year round, even in, our winters are pretty mild so we complain about them and act like it's cold but it's, it's not cold, it's not cold, it's not. <laughs> It's not Europe cold. It's not Northern Hemisphere cold. It's quite it's quite condensed as well. So you can wherever you want to, whenever you want to ride or whatever you want to do, you're, there's always someone who's, you know, a WhatsApp message away from meeting you up and, and, and doing some K's. And we are probably I don't know 30, 40 minute ride to many a national park. So you know you can go south, you can go north, and uh, different options there to ride a bit longer. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blow smoke up your ass and say Sydney's the greatest cycling city in the world. I mean we don't I don't think we have a, a hill that's bigger than say ten minutes, ten minute ride. Yeah. So there's a lot better but <laughs> but 
don't yeah. undermine my, my hills. <laughs> don't, don't, like, you can't, the weather, picturesque, like, you can, you can do a 50k ride and not be off, you know, the east coast of Australia and looking at beaches and headlands and, you know, picturesque rides like that, so it's, you can't complain either. Right, well, I guess one of the final questions I've got, I'm about to start my journey from Sydney down to Melbourne. There's a few options. You know, there's the coastal route, there's the one that follows the Indian Pacific wheel race as well, you know, going through the mountains through Bright. Um, any suggestions? I think that's probably the better route to take. I, I try and avoid the freeways and the Hume and things like that wherever possible, go inland or go coastal. Yeah. And yeah, going through the mountains can be quite a nice route too, but it's going to be a lot colder too. Well, so, I've got this pair of gloves now. You've got you guys, some attacker so. gloves there. Yeah, they'll keep your hands warm. It's <laughs> a good I, idea. I'm not, I'm not a, a cycling tourer, so I can't give you too much advice on that. <laughs> Definitely, uh, I don't know. The first couple of hours out of Sydney is nice. Down through Stan, Stanwell Tops and down through Wollongong and Kiama and Nowra, and then I suppose about that point you're gonna have to hang a right and what got towards Macquarie Pass. Yeah, which and then good, wait, and then way point. beyond that, but you're going to end up on the freeway at some point. But there's a lot of there's there's some pretty good gravel networks going all the way through to towards like the snowy mountains and stuff like that as well. So you do, you do need to do a bit of research, but yeah, I'm sure you've got it under control. I hope. Well, I'll let you know. I can post it. <laughs> I've heard it's snowing in the mountains at the moment. So yeah, so yeah it started on yesterday. Cold front well. coming through Friday. I think we'll say that there tomorrow. Just be safe. Carry like, just make sure you've always got lights on and things like that. There's a big, there's a lot of trucks, and as I said, there, there's, oh, it's the same as everywhere in the world. Motorists can be, can be pricks out there, so just be safe and All right. have your wits about you. <laughs> cool. Uh, anything else you want to add? Like, if, if kind of a final question, if someone was out there kind of thinking about starting apparel business or in that clothing business or you know picking something up what, what, what kind of advice would you give someone I guess even someone your, your kind of original advice about the brand thing you know what kind of advice would you give someone starting out with a, a cycling uh, business I guess I guess be smart about what you want to achieve and plan it out from the outset and really really think about what your what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve and Maybe don't fly by the seat of your pants all the time. <laughs> like Try to we probably did in the early days. Maybe search out a niche. I don't know what it could be, but you certainly have to have a point of difference. Yeah. You need to plenty be of, plenty of me too brands out there now. So yeah, don't just be another one of those because I don't think you'll get the traction you want. Yeah, yeah, you definitely have to be very convinced that um, you have a good point of difference, and whatever that point of difference is, really stick with it and go for that. Cool. Well, we can probably wrap it up then. Thanks. Thanks for joining, guys. No, thank Thanks you, for having mate. Us. Um, good luck on your ride. Yeah, right safe. Look forward to hearing about it. Thanks. We'll follow along. Thanks for listening to the show. There we go. Another episode. First season, the Australian version. There's loads more to come. Uh, I've got a jam-packed schedule full of really good stuff. Uh, the next podcast will be one where I talked to a friend of mine called Rupert Robinson so he rode the Trans Alba with uh, with Kevin O'Hara and they pretty much did it in seven days they really smashed it um, and maybe it was less than that but I caught up with them via internet conversation and we talked about their first ever bikepacking experience it was a road based event uh, it took them 
yeah, five, seven days. We're pushing some big miles out there as well, like 140, 150, sometimes 200 miles in a day, which is, you know, think kilometers, that's like maybe like about a third extra in kilometers, I think. I don't really know the, the way to formulate that up. But anyway, stay tuned for that. I'll share that online as well. Thanks for following the Pedding Podcast. I'm leaving soon next week. So if you want to follow, see what's going on, don't forget to jump on the Instagram, uh, Pedaling Podcast, and the website, pedalingpodcast.com. And I'll bring you the new show in a few days. 